Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. And on today's episode, we talk with Spencer Siegel, who's CEO of Actify, a software and solutions company focused on delivering scalable practice management programs for financial advisors. We have a, a conversation about how to put together the right kind of client experience based on solid processes. We talk about why the DOL rule is driving the need to have a consistent, auditable process, regardless of which regulatory regime you fall under. We talk about how to deliver a customized experience to clients. We talk about why benchmarks are not necessarily the right way to measure portfolio performance. And we talk about why top performing firms invest in engineering solid processes based on today's technology. It's an interesting conversation with a lot of valuable information for anybody who wants to create the kind of experience that is consistent and that makes clients want to tell their friends about it. So without any further delay, here's Spencer. Well, Spencer, welcome. We are so excited to talk to you today. I, I, every time I talk to you, I get so much insight about what's going on in the industry. So welcome and thanks for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. A real privilege to, to be with you guys today. That's great. So look, hey, why don't we just start high level and then we'll, we'll try to dig down. But while we've got you, I know you have your eye on the industry and the trends and what's going on. So maybe you could just kick us off by talking about some of the, the key trends that you see going on that ultimately will affect how advisors need to think about how they attract and service their clients. Well, I'll talk about three specific ones in general. So starting with the clients themselves, there's definitely an evolution uh, that we're seeing, and, and it's across all sectors of our economy where uh, clients are becoming more empowered. They are able to configure, if you will, or select the way they want to be served and how they want to be served. And increasingly, advisors are going to have to be able to listen in an increasingly effective manner to those preferences of the client, how they want to be served, where they want to be served, uh, and, and the overall engagement model. So we just see this, this hard trend of consumer empowerment across industries. So that's uh, point, you know, kind of trend one. Trend two, you know, with, with DOL and other regulatory changes, we are seeing this movement um, toward a more transparent uh, auditable process. So we, we don't see, you know, regardless of what ends up happening with DOL, um, what, we, what we're going to see more and more of is firms looking to create that uh, consistent uh, auditable experience. And thirdly, which sort of ties to one and two, in order to be able to deliver that more customized client experience to be able to do that in a documented and audible way, advisors are going to have to be increasingly sophisticated in their use of technology. And we've seen a real explosion uh, in innovation, the whole fintech capabilities, all sorts of capabilities available to advisors, available to clients. And we don't anticipate that level of um, innovation and change slowing down anytime soon. Spencer, can you um, elaborate a little bit on what what you mean by auditable? 
So auditable means the ability to, if a regulator would show up and say, um, so tell me a little bit about how you arrived at the solutions you arrived at for the Smith family, be able to show, well, this was the discovery I did. We discussed these questions. Here's what the the Smith family told me. Um, Based on that, here's the analysis I did. Based on that analysis, here's how the recommendations and having that in a CRM system or other type of technology system that actually shows each step of the way is documented. Now, the key from our experience to auditability is advisors tend not to be great at doing the work and then documenting the fact that they did the work. They are much better at doing the work and having that documented sort of automatically as a byproduct of the way they use their systems. And and that would be certainly the recommendation that we would have is that, you know, wire into your operating model the use of these systems which generate these audit trails of what the interactions between the advisor, the staff, and the client were, and be able to write those into some path that can be then re- reproduced uh, for a regulator or for the client, for that matter. But and what um, what what do you see as as potential applications for that kind of thinking in um, doing quality control within a, f- a firm where you may have multiple advisors delivering advice to those clients? Well, and that's that's a very good good question, and it really revolves around the the firm having a defined standard. So, when it whether it's investment management or financial planning or wealth management, having some sort of consistent standard embedded in the process, so that even if a client works with different advisors, there's a a certain standard that is upheld, and the you know the the organization that support the support part of the organization is helping orchestrate that particular process the whether it's an analysis for an investment proposal whether it's planning recommendations whether it's other types of um, holistic wealth management type solutions that there is a, a consistency in that okay great thanks sorry just, Julie go ahead no no that's that's great and in fact I wanted to actually just um, I want to talk a bit about technology because it's it's such a rich area but I'd love to go back to your first comment about clients becoming empowered and you know I know in a lot of wor- our work we're looking at concepts like co-creation of value and I think that that sort of matches with what you're saying but when you think about the client being more empowered and having more choice around the client experience what components of the client experience are you talking about where do you see clients ma- having more input choice and power in 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 the areas they're deciding on well i would say across the the whole spectrum but i'll give you a couple of very specific examples so uh, starting with kind of frequency and location of meetings you know how do i want to interact with you do i want to interact in a web conference uh, from my office at 4 30 in the afternoon do i want to drive to your office? Do I want to meet at a coffee shop? Do I want to meet you four times a year, one time a year? What kind of depth, breadth, sort of the meeting types, frequency, location, those sorts of things would be one set of preferences. Because I do think it's important. There are certain clients, there are certain um, things that clients can you know, really understand and are clear preferences for them. And there's other areas where they, they don't know. I mean, you know, they're not going to get into, well, gee, in the 
small cap uh, <laughs> allocation, I want to you know lean it this way versus that way. Those aren't the the preferences that we're looking for. So we're looking for communication preferences. We'll call it. We're also looking for the way they like to receive information. So there's different styles, whether we're talking kinesthetic, auditory, visual, um, also different levels of breadth and depth. Do you know when I'm being presented the performance of my portfolio, am I looking for a 30 page in-depth report broken down by sector and subclass? Or do I really want a one-page summary that just says, am I on track to my goals and is the performance that I'm getting, you know, adequate to helping me achieve my goals? And there isn't necessarily a right answer. There's a spectrum from the one-pager to the 30-pager. But in addition to that, how do I want that delivered? Do I want that delivered in an interactive conversation uh, where we talk about it? Do I want it emailed? Do I want it put in a portal, et cetera? So all of those sorts of things are some very specific examples of how clients uh, want to kind of configure the experience uh, to what their needs are. And the one thing I, I talk a lot about is the platinum rule. Are you guys familiar with the platinum rule? Tell us. (laughs) So the platinum rule is, we we all know the golden rule, do unto others as we would like done unto ourselves. Well, the platinum rule is 20 times more valuable than the golden rule. And what it says is do unto others as they would like done unto themselves. So you do not presuppose all of your clients want to be treated exactly the way you do. You actually ask them how do you want to be treated? What are your preferences? And then be able to customize the experience to their preferences without being so arrogant to think that everybody wants to be treated and communicated with the exact way we want to. That's incredibly valuable. Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel like for so long, we've talked about standardization as the ultimate goal. And I think for good reason. Uh, you know, we, we looked for a way to create a robust, repeatable process with our clients. And yet increasingly, not just in our industry, but I think if we look around us, the whole notion of personalization seems to be becoming more and more important. And I, I guess that's where technology starts to play a role, because how do we deliver this absent of using technology effectively? So can you talk to us a little bit about how advisors can think about technology, particularly in terms of some of the high impact examples uh, around client experience? Sure. Well, and I think it's a very astute observation um, that you just made. And and the one thing I want to add to that is that the ability to create the personalized and really customized experience uh, depends upon having the standardized experience well-defined because you can't customize that which is not defined. So I do think those things uh, go uh, hand in glove. And I, I like to use the term mass customization. So we're not looking to customize every aspect of our standard process. We're only looking to customize the things that A, 
our clients care about and B, that we can actually execute. There's nothing worse you can do than ask a client for their preferences, say, well, I'd really prefer this and this and this, and then completely ignore them. Yeah, because if, if you don't know that you can at least claim ignorance, well, I didn't know you preferred it that way. <laughs> if you actually ask them and then you don't deliver on it, it, it really can be very damaging to the relationship. Um, so that's kind of point A. And point B, again, I think that in terms of the specifics, uh, the CRM tends to be a catalyst in doing that. So uh, things such as report types. So you can create three packages that are based on, or you can create five packages, whatever the, the number. It's not 500 packages, though. It's, it's some single-digit number of uh, preferred uh, uh, reporting packages, if you will, whether that's quarterly or monthly or semi-annually or whatever the frequency is, which is another thing that you can customize, um, that each client in their record says, okay, this client's preference, their, uh, you know, their preference is toward that one page summary. They don't want the, the big report gives them a, a headache. They get package A versus, you know, second client, they're more of an engineer and they really do like to dig into some of the specific performance details. They get package C and then they're there's, you know, package B and D and F and, and so forth. So that's a, a specific example. And then that feeds into the portfolio management system. So the portfolio management system, these, you know, package A, B, C, and D are all set up. And then which package, which clients get can be tracked and managed in, you know, either the portfolio management system or the CRM system. And that can <clears throat> tie into same thing with financial planning and, and that sort of thing. So that's a couple, those are a couple of specific examples. I can certainly go deeper if you'd like. One thing I'd, I'd love to know about it as well is we talk about things like preferences. So how often do you want to receive reports? I want it X number of times a year and we can automate that. We're also, I think, seeing increasing examples where people are taking um, goals-based data or, um, you know, how do you think about money and those sorts of questions and then using that input to inform the client experience as well. Are you seeing more of that? Absolutely. I was just with an advisory firm probably two weeks ago and you know, both in terms of the client portal as well as in terms of the quarterly, in this particular firm does standard quarterly reporting, they actually want to lead with the goal achievement components. And now the more modern, sophisticated portfolio management systems allow you to pull in, you know, we'll call them widgets from whether it's financial planning or CRM or other systems where you can actually display the progress or status from the planning system inside of the more traditional, quote, performance report. So we're definitely seeing uh, an evolution there in terms of, you know, what is the order and sequence of those, uh, what's presented, and what we're encouraging uh, advisors to really think about is what is the story and the experience that they're trying to deliver, and then their reports and the tools that they use to deliver that should follow that flow. Mm-hmm. Are you, are you, Spencer? When you say that, are you talking about being able to generate sort of a graph of performance against goals as opposed to performance against some random benchmark, or are you talking about something Correct. different? 
No, I'm specifically talking about that. You, you know, you're green toward your retirement goal. You're yellow toward, you know, your son's college education goal. You've got a 72% probability, you know, whether you're using a Monte Carlo simulation, but you, you actually see those dials at the front of, of your report as, well, you know, regardless of how, what the actual benchmark performance is, am I on or off track to achieving the, the three goals that I really established with my advisor that mattered most to me? Yeah, that's that's cool. Now, if I could pivot a little bit, um, you know, in, in addition to working with a lot of the technology stuff, you know, you Actify, um, you know, does a lot of work in uh, the process and, and procedure area too. So, you know, beyond the technology, what what role do business processes play in creating the kind of client experience you want to deliver? Well, the way I look at business processes is they're really the instruction sets that tell the technology what you want it to do. Again, most, and, and this is probably the one of the biggest challenges that advisors face is, you know, I, I've done a great job acquiring these very powerful technological capabilities, whether it's portfolio management systems or CRM systems, financial planning systems, et cetera. Um, but I'm not doing an equally good job using them in a way that is creating maximum value to the client, maximum value for our employees, and maximum value for the shareholders. And in order to do that, I actually have to re-engineer my business processes. And this is what's really difficult for, for firms is they've become successful doing something the same way for 15 years. And it really does work. And then they acquire these new capabilities and they want to sort of jerry-rig the new technology to adopt to this process that, that has been successful for them, but in fact really does not take advantage of the efficiency and the capabilities that the technology provides because the process was designed in an era that never imagined these types of capabilities. And a lot of firms don't have some of the skill sets to sort of think about those workflows and those instruction sets processes in a way that is truly end to end. You so know, it, I, I, I okay. go ahead, carry Julie, on. I'm sorry. sorry, no, no. Oh I, no! I, I remember, I remember, <laughs> I remember seeing a, a presentation uh, a long time ago um, when, when, when we were first, when, when uh, broker dealers were first coming out with uh, with portals for their advisors, and uh, I forget, I, I forget his name, but he was the like the operations VP for Raymond James, and 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 was talking a little bit about, you know, we've been really good about about you know digitizing a lot of our manuals and processes and, and those kinds of things. But really all we're doing is creating electronic versions of pieces of paper. And if we want to realize the power of this, then we've got to think in a whole new environment. If we, if we keep with the whole concept of the piece of paper, then we're, you know, we're really not making the kind of revolutionary progress you could be making. And that sounds like what you're talking about here. Yeah, precisely. And I think that's one of the scarcest resources out there is the managerial skill inside of these practices or outside of them to manage a firm through that uh, that behavioral change, you know, to take processes that have been successful and really re-engineering them for a more client-centric uh, environment. And so how does a firm go about doing that? I mean, how do you um, how do you grab a hold of a new way of thinking and implementing it? Well, that's a 
That's a big <laughs> question, and uh, you know, th there's a lot of different components to it. But I'll just start at a very high level. At the highest level, it comes down to a you know an acknowledgement at the top of the firm, you know, the the the, the, the at the ownership level, at the partner level, to say, you know what got us from there to here isn't going to get us from here to there. And, you know, uh, basically saying this, this isn't really optional. So that's kind of step one. Step two is going through a process mapping exercise to, to kind of look at what are, you know, what is the current process? What are we proposing? What are the implications of that? And step three is really institutionalize that, wiring it into the operating model vis-a-vis -vis, uh, workflow leveraging technology. So typically that would be, you know, the CRM tends to be the primary system of record, if you will, for those workflows, although we, we have seen firms very successfully embed those workflows in a document management system or an embedment in other tools they have, depending upon uh, their particular business model. So, Spencer, I can imagine if you're a, um, you know, a, a single advisor or maybe in a partnership with an assistant, your head's probably spinning around about this point. And you're just like you said, it's, it, it's not just not having the managerial skills, but the bandwidth to even think about these things. Are you finding that the custodians and broker dealers or, or financial institutions are playing a different role or maybe need to play a different role in supporting advisors through this? Absolutely. Um, one of the things we're seeing, and it's an area we're very focused on, is we really see the partnership between uh, advisors and their financial institutions that they, they partner with becoming increasingly important. Uh, because again, the the skill sets, I always say this, you know, the skill sets required to be a great advisor are very distinct and separate from the skill sets required to run a great advisory business. And we're seeing the financial institutions really increasingly get more sophisticated um, and better at helping advisors run better businesses. Because in the old days, you know, the answer to everything was just sell more. Well, if I just sold another product or another solution, I could throw bodies at the problem. And it didn't matter, you know, the experience, the process, all that stuff, you know, I'm making enough money, you know, I've got enough coming in, you know, to not worry too much about what's going out the back door. Well, that, that model doesn't work anymore. You, in this more modern age where there's more fee transparency, it's not just about selling another thing. It's about an ongoing client relationship. It's about um, really having deep, trusted relationships with clients, not having a thousand accounts that you've sold something to at some point. Um, it does require a different set of uh, managerial skills and processes. And that's where we're really encouraging both the institutions and the advisors to, to partner on that. And the level of sophistication that we're seeing from um, the broker dealers and custodians continues to, to grow on a literally quarterly basis. And if I can, if I can sort of add to that, you know, I, I think um, there, in, in addition to what you just pointed out, uh, in, in the scalability of, of the organization, I think the other thing that that advisors don't realize they're doing is that they get more clients, they want to provide more services, they may even want to provide them more um, more consistently and 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 more robustly, and so they add staff to do more of those things, and they, but the, what they're doing is adding more and more staff to 
the value proposition that they're <laughs> carrying out as an advisor. And what they don't realize is that they're still not creating a business. It's still a practice. It's just a, a practice that's still that's supported by more people. And, you know, it's not really a business until you can walk away from it for two months and have it continue to click along and not even realize you're gone. So, um, you know, that's where that whole thing about, about business management really, really comes in that, that, you know, if, unless you can take the focus off of you, unless you can build an operation that doesn't necessarily require you to operate day by day, you haven't built a business yet. Um, Precisely. But, but, but let me let me ask you to elaborate a little bit on um, on that partnership between financial institutions and advisors. You know, what what do you see coming in, in that evolution? Well, I really see, you know, the the fact of the matter is, is, you know, the, the clearing custody function has becoming become increasingly commoditized. There's there's no institution that says, hey, gee, you know, I can clear a trade and send a confirm and a statement better than anybody else. And that's why you should come with me is because of my ability to produce that that statement and that confirm. Um, it really is this evolution uh, up the value chain. So uh, I envision, and I don't envision, I'm actually seeing this with some of the market leaders where their value proposition is, I'm going to help you run, build and run a better business. And I'm going to be able to bring resources beyond what are available that, that you could get on your own to help you do that. And those resources are going to be around human capital. It's going to be around the processes that we've talked about. I can bring some best practices, some starting points. It's going to be around the technology. You know, we have these relationships with these vendors. We've done some pre-integration. We've done this and we've done that. But it, it really moves up that chain to saying, I'm going to be a true trusted business partner and bring these resources to you, given the size and scale um, that I have that, again, you you likely don't have and would be difficult for you to acquire on your own. So we, we see that that evolution of the partnership. Now, it will vary on a segment by segment basis, the way a, you know, multi-billion dollar firm that's got, you know, a corporate staff of 20 and manages $30 billion is a very, very different, you know, set of circumstances than the solo practitioner. Uh, we, we're, we're kind of seeing this really being most impactful in the middle of that bell curve. So with the majority of advisors that are, you know, bigger than a breadbasket, want to build a real business that isn't dependent upon themselves, isn't so large that they can go spend a million dollars a year in, in salaries on a whole staff of professional business managers, etc. cetera. Um, the, the bulk of advisors fall, fall somewhere in between. And that's where I do think these uh, financial institutions uh, are in a unique position to fill in that gap, deepen those relationships, and really accelerate the success of the, of the advisors that are affiliated with them. Um, now, if I if I can pivot a little bit, I want to make sure that we get to this before we before we finish. Um, one of the things that Actify does is um, something that Julie used to do, uh, and that's collect client feedback from uh, from clients. And we talked about f discovering client preferences and um, customizing, you know, your approach to that feedback, you know, so what, what in your view is the role of, of client feedback in attracting new clients and, and enhancing that, that experience? Well, I think client feedback is critical and uh, I'm 
a fan of kind of that surround sound approach from doing formal feedback no mechanism similar to the you know actify engage program that we help advisors do but also embedded in the conversations um, that advisors are having with their clients on a regular basis you know having a feedback question embedded um, I one of the ones I, I like to do and I try to practice what I preach with with our clients um, is at the end of a, a meeting I'll ask them on a scale of one to ten you know, one, this, this meeting was a complete waste of your time and, and 10, this far exceeded all of your expectations. What would you score this? And then what I'm actually even more interested in is the follow-up question, which I ask. So, you know, everyone has a little bit different scoring, um, mechanism, but I'll you know, say they give me an eight. Um, well, what would have had, what would have had to happen to make it a 10? And that's what you're really looking for. And that gives that client, uh, the specific example, kind of the permission to say, well, I gave you an eight or I gave you a seven, which was really a pretty high score, but you're, you're asking me, what would it be to be a 10? Well, now I can give you some feedback without offending you. So I think it's a, the combination of, uh, the those kinds of questions just embedded in the normal ongoing conversation using formal feedback mechanisms uh like surveys and that sort of thing and then even you know i know steve steven one of the areas you, you specialize in is around these client advisory boards and again yeah. my my point of view is the right answer is all of the above and you know you gotta based on where you're at and you can't maybe bite it all off at the same time but this is something that you know in the end the client's going to win because they get to vote with their wallet. So it is, you know, true. It's very important for every practice, regardless of size, regardless of scale, to have some mechanism to understand where where they're at in in delivering on the expectations that that client has. And I, I might even add to the to the question that you ask, uh, or that you encourage advisors to ask about how what score would you give this meeting. Um, I think it would it could be just as, uh, also useful to ask a question that we often ask at the end of advisory board meetings, which is uh, doing a what facilitators call a plus delta. So to say, you know, what were two or three things about this meeting that were valuable for you, and then what two or three things would you change about this meeting to make it more valuable for you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let me, and Julie, we want to hear from you since you're the you're, you're, you're the feedback expert. Well, yeah, I'm a big fan of of all of this. Um, look, and, and I think Spencer's re- really made an important point. There is that it, it's a feedback. It needs to be baked into how you do business. It's not just a survey. It's not just an advisory right. board. It's a way right. that you think right. about how you operate, and and it's in fact the combination of these different forms of input that you that you get that's that's so important. Now, I mean, we're we're also talking ultimately about what makes you referable in in our pe- podcast, and, and Spencer. So I'd love to maybe just pick up on what you were talking there uh, about with feedback, and asked how how in your mind does that then link to either increasing referrals or making you more referable? Well, there's a couple of things. So um, you know, if, if you get a, if if you are getting the feedback, hey, this is truly you know, meeting and exceeding my expectations. Uh, one other question I like to, to ask is, well, how would you describe what I do? Like if, you know, getting a sense of how would that client describe the solutions and really the relationship experience that you're delivering to them, to their friend? 
um, or their colleague. And I think the, you know, in, in my mind, one of the, the ultimate uh, tests of referability is does the client refer business to you? Not at all because they're trying to help you, but because they're truly trying to help their friend or colleague that they know that they're, um, you know, that, that their friend really needs the experience and the value that you bring and that you're in fact doing them a favor, doing the client a favor by meeting with the person that they're referred. So Amen. to me, that's the, the ultimate thing that, that an advisor should strive for. You know, I, I personally am not a fan of the, and, and as a client, I would be very offended of saying, well, um, how, uh, you know, the, these things that said, you know, referrals are part of how I get paid, you know, in traditional insurance world. No, it isn't. I'm actually paying you a fee. I'm paying you $10,000 a year. You know, I'm actually paying, <laughs> yeah, I think, a more than fair price. So you're telling me on top of what I'm paying, I'm not paying you enough, and I have to give you referrals. You know, again, uh, that's yeah, offensive to me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. And I think, you, you know, you've raised such a good point because we make assumptions. You know, in our mind, we know that clients provide referrals and we think they're sitting down and holding the hands of their friend and looking deep into their eyes and saying, you've got to talk to my advisor. They're going to change your life. And really, when they talk about it, they say, oh, yeah, I just said you should call Bob. He's great. And that was sort of, you know, can you pass the salt? That was essentially the entire conversation that they had. So really kind of digging in so that you can understand what's going on and, and support that, I think, is, is, is just wonderful. Um, so, hey, Spencer, just, you know, we've got a, a couple minutes here. I'd love to, to wrap up soon. But if, you know, if somebody listens to all of this, and you've talked about a whole range of things from the high end at the industry level to technology to, to, to gathering client feedback, but if advisors could do sort of one thing to get started after listening to this episode, what do you think it should be? Well, if I'd boil it down to one thing, I think it's just asking for that feedback. I mean, uh, I use the example of the, the one to 10 question. It doesn't have to be that, but, but really baking into their standard operating model that the normal frequency, you know, cadence of, of the meetings and so forth, a agenda item or a topic or a question or whatever they feel comfortable with to, to really ask for feedback on the relationship. Um, that would be the one thing. I do also want to go back and make one quick comment um, mm. on what you just said, which is, you know, what has been shocking to me, and this is in, in terms of how do people describe what you do. I've actually asked our clients that exact question. So if I was a fellow advisor and, and I was asking you, you know, you work with Actify, you know, what do those guys do? And it's it's really been eye-opening. And I can tell you that the way clients describe what we do is sub generally speaking, substantially different than um, the way I would describe it. And it, it really is been a, a eye-opening eye to me <laughs> to just funny? understand how, how we're perceived. I mean, usually what they do is they describe one standout benefit that they got, which was about one thirtieth of our value proposition. <laughs> uh, and, they, and they describe that one thirtieth as, well, that's what those guys do. And, and my guess is, and I've seen this to be true for advisors as well, is clients can usually describe about, and maybe one thirtieth is an exaggeration, but it's, it's certainly a small percentage 
of your overall value proposition. Really the element that kind of sticks out in their mind where they're getting value, they'll talk about that one component, but not uh, accurately describe the entire value proposition. And it requires training. I mean, you ultimately have to train your clients on how to both appreciate and articulate um, that value proposition. And if you do that in a very client-centric way, it actually also deepens the relationship. So I guess I'm giving you two takeaways, (laughs) one embedded in, but then two really work to evolve those relationships where you and the client are are really understanding and describing that that value proposition that you're delivering to them in in a common and well-understood way. So I've got to ask then, before I let you go, how do you describe what you do? How do, how do, how would you you want one of your clients to describe what Actify does? Well, as we increasingly move toward, you know, our focus has moved more and more toward the institutional space and really helping uh, firms deliver value to advisors. I would want them to say um, Actify is uniquely positioned to support institutions who want to accelerate uh, the success of their advisors through people, process, and technology solutions. So that's, um, that's what I would maybe say in a nutshell is uh, they're the, the catalyst to accelerate advisor success. We certainly still work directly with advisors a little bit, but more of our focus because we do see this this trend toward the partnership between the institution and the advisor becoming more important. We really want to be a, a powerful enabler of that uh, partnership. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, thank you for that. Well, and and thank you for everything. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. And I know everybody's going to get a ton of value out of this. Thanks, Spencer. Yeah, my pleasure. Great conversation. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.